Let's go to the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4. And uh, I want to read verses 1 down through about verse 6. I'll be reading the King James. I will be reading, uh, maybe referring to a couple of the versions in, in my message. But, but verse 1 says this. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth. He took great indignation and mocked the Jews. He was mad. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish, rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said this, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. <laughs> he, was, he was trash-talking them. He said, you know what? Can they do it? Can they sacrifice? Can they revive these old stones? Even if they do, if a fox runs up on it, it'll knock it down. Verse 4 says, Hear, O God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. But I want you to notice this next verse. I'm not even going to read it all. After all of the, the problems of verses 1 through 5, verse 6 just says, So we built the wall. So we built the wall anyway. You're going to have some problems in life, but you're going to have to go on anyway. You're going to have some problems in this church. There are going to be some things to have to face and battles to fight. But you know what? We're going to build a church. We're going to reach a city. Amen. And God is with us. I want to talk to you tonight just simply on the subject, so we built the wall. Amen. I, I, I like the way that Nehemiah just boldly says, so we built the wall. That little word, so, represents a whole lot. There, there's a, a big precept that's said there in that little word. We may have problems, so we built the wall. We have limitations, so we built the wall. We don't have enough money, so we built the wall anyway. We've had disappointments, so we built the wall. We've had hurt feelings, so we, uh, you could say, well, nobody really, you know, wants to hear our message. We've got uh, limitations, you know, we've, our, our uh, facility is not large enough. We don't have enough space. We can have all kinds of reasons and all kinds of excuses for all kinds of things. But Nehemiah said it didn't matter what was against us. We built the wall anyway because God wanted them to build the wall. Ladies and gentlemen, if God be for you, it doesn't matter who is going to be against you. If God be for Christ-centered church, and He is, it doesn't matter who is against you. Amen. God can do great things and will do it even though there are problems, even though there are difficulties. There are people that come against Him, just like Tobiah the Ammonite in this story here. But if God be for us, amen, we're going to make it happen. Now, if you only had Nehemiah chapter 3, 
you might think, man, everything went so good. That was, uh, the, the, the wall was built without a snag. It sounded like, you know, I don't have time to go back into the story, but it sounded like there was no problems. It was a construction project that went without a hitch. Uh, I don't think there's any such thing, but, uh, you know, you, you, you would tend to think uh, that there were no problems. But then you get to chapters 4 through 6, and it shows that some of the problems that had to be overcome in the process of rebuilding the wall, the wall around Jerusalem. And, and then there is an, uh, sort of a cycle, if you will, of uh, building and then setbacks in chapters uh, 4 through 6. And so when you think about it, that kind of describes a Christian life, doesn't it? It's sort of a cycle of advancing, building, and maybe some setbacks uh, because there's always going to be some opposition. The enemy's always going to try to get us sidetracked. The enemy's always going to come against us and sometimes try to give us to give up completely. Even though it was God's will for the wall to be rebuilt, notice God did not move, remove the opposition. And even though it's God's will for you to grow strong in faith, and to labor to advance the church and the kingdom of God, God will not remove all opposition in your life either. But if you respond properly, the opposition will drive you into the presence of God. And it will drive you into the Word of God. And you fall on your knees and say, God, I can't make it because I've got problems here. I've got some opposition. I've got some situations. I need your help. Anybody here tonight need the help of the Lord? Amen. Hallelujah. So if we respond properly, it will actually strengthen our ability to build. It's God's will that his church grow and that this church reach this city. And again, there will be setbacks. But if we respond properly, it will drive us closer together. It will drive us Closer to the Word of God. Amen. And there will be a power that will rest on us and that will work through us, I believe, that will accomplish great things. So what I'm preaching here tonight, or what I'm teaching, however you want to say it, is this. Don't be discouraged because of the setbacks. Don't be discouraged because of the problems that you have, the times you get tripped up, the little setbacks in your life. Focus on the advances. Learn from the setbacks, and let's move forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Because I want to tell you something. God is getting ready to do something great right here in Hamilton, New Jersey. This is my first opportunity to be here with you. This is my first chance to be in New Jersey. I'm a Tennessee boy. I haven't traveled very much at all. Amen. For us, just going one county over was a big deal. Amen. So here I am in New Jersey. But I'm telling you one thing. I feel that God is going to do something great in this city. There's an excitement in this church. There's a unity here. There's somebody that says, hey, we're going to build a church just like they built a wall. Amen. God has some great things in store. But here's the thing. Let's learn from what happened with Nehemiah and the wall builders. Even though God was with them, there also was a cycle of building and then some setbacks and then building and some setbacks. But ultimately, amen, they did it because God was on their side. Amen. And God does want us to expand. And God wants us to reach our city. God wants us to build our families. You know how you build a great church? You build a great family. You start with yourself. You say, you know what? I can work on me. And I can work on my family. Amen. And then together, 
We're building a strong church. Amen. And you're going to see great things happen right here in Hampton, New Jersey. I'm excited about that. I can't wait to come back and see what the next phase looks like. See what happens next. It's going to be exciting. Amen. Praise God. Amen. So God gave Nehemiah a purpose. And he opened the door for him. And everything was going good. But then you come to Nehemiah chapter 4. And folks, that's where it kind of falls apart. Murphy's Law kicks in. And everything that seemed to that could go wrong, did go wrong. Chapter 1, Nehemiah prayed. In chapter 2, God moved him from the prosperity of Persia to the desolation of Jerusalem. And then in chapter 3, you're introduced to the workers on the wall. You discover that in kingdom work, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. Amen. The Bible talks about Baruch that had a lot of zeal. Amen. And, and, and others that were listed, and, and uh, uh, folks like Baruch, everything, because of people like that working together, things were zipping along. Now, not one person could build a wall, but together they could do it. And then you come to chapter 4, and as I said, things get complicated. Murphy shows up, reminds Nehemiah that when everything seems to be going well, you've obviously overlooked something. <laughs> Reminds me of a story, a, a joke I read, I guess, the other day about a mother of eight. Edith was her name. She came home on a Saturday afternoon from her neighbor's house only to discover that five of her youngest children were huddled together in the living room concentrating on something. And as a mother would do, she gets over there to see what's happening. And she couldn't believe her eyes because smack dab in the middle of those five kids were several little baby skunks. And so this mother screamed at the top of her voice, Kids, run! And every one of those kids grabbed a skunk and ran to the room. <laughs> now that's, that's Murphy's Law right there. That's when, if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. That's when that mother got discouraged. Everybody say discouraged. Those workers on the wall, they got discouraged. Amen. I believe that there is a, a plague that really is sweeping our country today. We could talk about a lot of things that's happening in our country today, a lot of things happening in the world. Uh, but I, I think one of the worst epidemics that is happening is simply discouragement. Everybody say discouragement. You know, I, I, I think it's a, it's a potent problem because here's why. Number one, it's universal. Nobody is immune to being discouraged. I'm not immune. Pastor White's not immune. Anybody. We're all open, if, as it were, to being discouraged. In fact, I would say that everybody here has been discouraged at one time or another. And then number two, it's recurring. Just because you were discouraged once doesn't give you an immunity over being discouraged again. You know, there, there are some diseases that once you have it once, what is it? The, uh, yeah, you get immune to them. It, it gets in your system, and, and so you're, you won't catch it the next time. But discouragement's not like that. You, you can have it over and over again. And then thirdly, it's contagious because discouragement spreads by contact. People can be disheartened, 
uh, around you, and then you become disheartened, and, uh, you know, you could be bummed out because other people are bummed out, and, you know, it, th- th- and that happens. You know, it's, it's a sympathy and, and so forth. And so I want to talk about the, the causes a little bit of discouragement and, and, and how maybe we can combat that a little bit because I think that's a real problem. I think there's two types of discouragement. One comes at, at us from the outside, and then one comes from the inside. So let's look at the things that come from the outside, the external causes of discouragement. Let's look at the wall again. The wall workers, initially, they were very excited. They began, the Bible says, they began with great anticipation and joy. Uh, the Bible says in Nehemiah 4, 6, that the people work with all their heart. You know how that is. You get excited about something, and, and uh, you know, the walls are going up. You're seeing uh, progress, and, and then something happens. Getting the work started on the wall was a major achievement, but keeping the workers working proved to be a harder assignment. Amen. It's one thing to have a dream about a big wall, but it's another thing to lift those big stones up there and set them in place and get all that together. Somebody said exhilaration is that feeling that you get just after having a great idea and right before you realize how much work it's going to take to make it happen. And that's true. And so where God is at work, the enemy is also at work. And when people take kingdom priorities seriously, Satan stirs up agitators to block the work of God. And these enemies use two types of external forces. Number one, ridicule. Ridicule. The Bible says, Nehemiah 4, 1 through 2, I want to read the New Living Translation. It says this, Samballot was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan officer, army officers, where does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can... Make something of stones from a rubbish heap, a charred and charred ones at that. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside them, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. And every time you read about Sanballat, he's standing against the work of God. He's ridiculing, he's rejecting, he's making fun of everything that Nehemiah, that the people of God are trying to accomplish. Folks, ridicule is the language of the enemy. Ridicule is the language of the devil, and he will ridicule you. He will come against you and insult you and insult the servants of God, just like Goliath did to little David. David came to the giant with a sling, and the big giant was out there with all of his modern weapons and so forth. And what did he do? He mocked David. Even the soldiers mocked Jesus on the cross, taunted him. And Sanballat called the workers on the wall feeble. That word means withered, miserable. Then he ridiculed the job they were doing. He asked four questions. He said, will they restore their wall? I can just hear him laughing, you know, you know, just trash talking them, if you will. Uh, the Samaritan army breaking out into laughter. How could a remnant of feeble workers hope to build a wall strong enough to protect anybody from a mighty army? Then he asked, Will they offer sacrifices? He was saying, you know what, it's going to take more than a little prayer and worship to get the job done. Then he said, will they finish in a day? That suggests that these guys don't have any idea what they're getting into. They're not smart enough to understand 
this type of a, a project and how much it's going to take. Then he asked, can they bring these stones back to life? Now that indicates that these building materials were so old and damaged that they possibly couldn't even be used anyway. I mean, so he had a pretty logical, if you look at it logical, you might say, oh my goodness, he's right. He's got a good point. And then Tobiah just said, even a fox would knock it down. But do you know that archaeological excavations on these walls have found that they were nine feet thick? So you need more than a fox to knock them down. Amen. So whatever you attempt to get involved with, when it comes to the work of God, when it comes to doing God doing anything in your life, you're always going to have somebody ridicule you. You're always going to have somebody say, oh, they've tried it before and they'll never make it. You're always going to have somebody say, oh, she, can't, she won't be able to make it because she tried it three years ago and look what happened. You're always going to have somebody bringing up the failures of the past. You're always going to have somebody ridiculing you. Oh, they can't teach a Bible study. They can't do this or they can't do that. Why? Because they want to discourage you. That's what the enemy does. He wants to discourage you. We ought to need, uh, really come to expect it because that's what he does. He is the accuser of the brethren. And in some ways we ought to let it feed us and drive us into the presence of God. Let it renew your trust in God. Let it drive you to your knees. Let it fall on your face and surrender to God. Learn to trust God. Learn to rest in the arms of a great and mighty and powerful Savior. Amen. Praise God. Instead of allowing it to discourage us. Rest in His strength. Amen. Because I'm telling you, you're going to get ridiculed. Sometimes the voices are inside our head. We get to hearing what other people say and we, we begin to believe it. Amen. The second cause of their external discouragement was repression in Nehemiah 4, 7, and 8. We're already talking about uh, the first one was ridicule and then repression. The references in Nehemiah 4 and 7, he talks about the four points of the compass, Sanballat and the Samaritans on the north, Ashdod on the west, Tobiah the Amorites on the east, and then Geshub and the Arabs to the south. So the workers were surrounded, and they lived in constant fear of being attacked, in fear of being ambushed. These enemies of God's people were united against God's people. Isn't it funny how you can't get anybody to work together unless they're working against God's people? And then all of a sudden, they had no problem uniting against the work of the Lord. And so there, you think about that. They were surrounded. There's a constant pressure that were surrounding the workers on the wall. I think probably you are feeling, there's somebody here tonight that's feeling some constant pressure surrounded by people who don't, they don't want you to be more spiritual than they are because that highlights their lack of God in their life. And they understand that if they can keep you down, then it makes them not look so bad. Ridicule. They, they, they want you to stay down. They want to highlight your problems and so that they don't look so bad. There's a repression that leads to discouragement that weighs on us. And it's on the north, the south, the west, the east. It's, a, it's compression. Amen. And it's repressing us. 
But I also read another scripture in the Bible, Psalms 34 and 7, that says this, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them, those that fear him and delivereth him. So we're surrounded by angels. Amen. It doesn't matter who's surrounding you that's telling you you can't. No way. You're too far gone. You can't do anything. You're too this. You're too that. Let me tell you something. There's a band of angels around you. If you fear the Lord, saying, yes, you can. Yes, you can. I'm with you. Amen. And if God is with us, it doesn't matter who's telling us we can't. We can't. It doesn't matter what the naysayers say. Amen. It doesn't matter what the negative spies that came back with the bad report said. We can't take the land. The Bible says we are well able. You are well able to do whatever God wants you to do. Don't let discouragement get in your mind. Don't let it get in your spirit. It's all around us today. You can watch the news and get discouraged about stuff. But I'm telling you something. God is shining a light in your family. He's shining a light in this city. Amen. Don't be discouraged because the darker the light or the darker the night, the brighter the light. The darker it gets in your family, the brighter your witness will be in your family. Amen. Don't be discouraged, church. Don't be discouraged. There's angels around us. Now, I want to talk for just a few minutes. Uh, I don't want to go too long. Uh, but, but let me talk a few minutes about, you know, preachers say that they really don't mean it. But anyway, <clears throat> let me talk about the, the internal cause of discouragement that was fatigue. Everybody say fatigue. Just tired. Just kind of weary. That's why the Bible says, be not weary in well-doing. Amen. Because you will reap if you faint not. Amen. And, and here's the deal. It's easy to internalize the ridicule of the enemy when you're tired, when you're weary. Notice the first part in Nehemiah 4.10. The Bible says, and Judah said, Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. That's verse 10. Now, that's Judah. Now, Judah was the tribe that had David's blood in their veins, and you would think they would have more faith and courage. These were the praise bunch. This was the praise team. This was the lineage of Jesus Christ. They were looked at as leaders and pace setters. And if the tribe of Judah was bummed out, the tribe of Judah was discouraged, if they were weary, then it's going to catch with the other tribes as well. Amen. And so what happens is when you're you're weary in well-doing, you're more open and vulnerable to the ridicule of the enemy. Amen. And you're more uh, open to the fear and to the doubt, and to the things that you know what God said, but you're hearing other things because you're, you're not where you need to be spiritually rested and physically rested. Amen. 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 When you are weary, and you're burning the candle at both ends, and you don't make time for prayer, and you don't make time for Bible study, and you don't make time for rest, then what happens is we get kind of cranky. 
and we get kind of more open to the ridicule of the enemy, to the pressure, to the spirit of discouragement that's in our world today. And then all of a sudden we say, you know what? I wish our church was more like this church. You know what? I'm getting tired of having to, you know, do whatever you do. and I'm getting tired of having to, uh, you know, show up early for church. I'm getting tired of, you know, just having to, to, to pay my tithes. And I'm, I, I'm getting tired of just, you know, what's happening? You're listening to the ridicule of the enemy, the spirit of depression. Amen. And, it, and, and you can be more critical that way. And, and things that you never would have normally said. Amen. Most of the time when folks start off with, well, I don't think we can, or I don't see how, or I don't know why, most of the time, brace yourself, there's something discouraging following. Amen. But here's the thing. You can't stop what they say, but you can stop your reaction to it. You can stop your reaction to it. Amen. You, you don't have to internalize their negativity, their lack of faith, their doubt, their discouragement, their rebellion. Amen. The Bible says, whose report will you believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. Come on, Christ Center Church. Anybody here believe the report of the Lord? His report says victory. His report said I am healed. His report said we can build the wall. His report said we're going to have a great church here in Hamilton, New Jersey. His report said this room is not going to hold all the souls that God is getting ready to bring into the church. Whose report will you believe? Will you believe the voice of the enemy? Or you will you keep your eye on the prize? I want to keep my eye on Jesus. Amen. Nehemiah 4.10 said, The strength of the bearer of burdens were decayed. They were tired. They, they needed some rest. They were physically drained. And, and, and then they were discouraged. Amen. And, and, and you remember what God did when Elijah was tired? In that story, he sent an angel to give him some bread. He gave him something to, to drink. And then he told him to go to sleep. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is go to sleep. Amen. And rest in the Lord. Amen. And rest in the Lord. Now, we can't be lazy. I'm not trying to justify that and God you know, wants us to be about his business and all of that. But you know what? We need a Sabbath. We need rest in the Lord. Amen. Even God rested from God's work when he was creating the world. Amen. And so, amen, understand you've got to have spiritual rest physical rest. Amen. Next thing can happen is frustration. Everybody say frustration. Nehemiah 4.10 says, there is so much rubble that they cannot rebuild the wall. They were walking over broken rocks, uh, you know, dried out mortar, other debris that was underfoot. You know, when you're out there working and, and you're trying to get stuff done and all this chaos, all this stuff is in your way, stubbing your toe on all this stuff and all of that, it's hard to keep your eye on the goal when you're when you're walking over the ruins. And they had lost sight of their goal. We also can lose sight of the goal when we got too much garbage in our lives that we're walking over. When we got too much stuff, too much rubbish. Hebrews 12 and 1 challenges us to get rid of anything that causes us to be frustrated in our pursuit of godliness. The Bible says, lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. The New Living Version says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with 
patience, the race, amen, that's laid before us. So I don't know what the rubble may be in your life. It, it could be, uh, you know, a possession that you're hanging on to. It could be an unhealthy relationship. It could be social media that's gone extreme. It could be a faulty mindset. It could be false doctrine based on tradition and not revelation. It may be an addiction that it seems so hard to shake that you just can't stop messing around with folks. If you're involved in any kind of entanglement that's tripping you up and, and you're walking through it, it's hard to keep your eye on what God God said you're going to build when you keep stubbing your toe on all the stuff in your life. Amen. And so that's why the Bible says in Hebrews, throw off these things so you don't get tripped up. Lay it aside. Amen. These runners that run, sometimes they put uh, the weights on their ankles and on their arms. And, 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 and what they're doing, they're building their muscle. And then when they take that off, man, they just feel so light they can run. Amen. And that's what God wants us to do is is learn from the weight that's in our life, but cast it aside so that we can run with patience the race set before us. Amen. The old song used to say, I don't want anything here to hinder me. Amen. Another cause of internal discouragement, I need to hurry, is fear. Everybody say fear. The enemies of the Lord's work had struck fear in the hearts of God's people, and they felt like giving up. Nehemiah 4.10 said, we can't rebuild the wall. And if you read verse 12, you find out who gets afraid the quickest. The Bible says, Then the Jews who dwelt near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. So I caught that. The Bible says it was those who dwelt near them. Those who deal with fear the most are those who live with people who have fear the closest to you. In other words, um, if you want to limit your discouraging thoughts that bring fear into your life, then you may need to take a good look at those who are closest, who are speaking into your life. What, who are you hanging around? Whose voice are you listening to? The Bible says that it was the Jews that dwelt near them came, and they said ten times over, wherever you turn, they're going to attack us. There's no way to get out. You see what's happening there? It was those that lived the closest. Why? Because they had been hearing it the most. Amen. There's an old saying that says, if you're going to soar with the eagles, you can't hang with the turkeys. Amen. Fear puts us in a frame of mind where we can not only be discouraged, but we can also be deceived. Because here's the thing. The fact is, Enemies never did attack Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. Did you think about that? But yet everybody, these Jews that live near all of these surrounding enemies of the people of God, oh, they're going to attack us. We'll never make it. All of these problems. But the fact is, they never even attacked. You know, we, we fear a lot of things in our life that never comes to pass. Amen. Fear is of the devil. Faith is of God. Amen. In a book called Scared to Life, Douglas Rumford cites a study that shows why we shouldn't let fear rule our lives. He said this, 60% of our fears, 60% are totally unfounded. 20% are already behind us. 10% are so petty they wouldn't make any difference anyway. 5% are real, but we can't do anything about them. And then another 5% are real, and we might be able to do something about them. 
So you think about that. Amen. Praise God. Fear. The devil is into fear. The devil wants to put things in your life that says you can't. You're scared of everything. Amen. Scared of our own shadow. I'll tell you what. I'm not scared of the devil. The devil's scared of me. And the devil's scared of you if you've got the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. That you have got just as much power as the Apostle Paul in the Word of God. And the devil does not want anything to do with you. So don't be fearful. Be full of faith. Don't be discouraged. Let's talk about quickly a cure for discouragement. Number one, request God's help. Nehemiah requested God's help in chapter 1 for Jerusalem. In chapter 2, he prayed when the enemy started talking. That's a good thing to do. Amen. No, you, you can't fight. Some people try to fight their battles on Facebook. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Nehemiah didn't do that. He went to pray when the enemy started talking. He continued to pray. And then the people went to work. Amen. So, number one, request God's help. Second cure, reorganize your priorities. Amen. In Nehemiah 4.13, Nehemiah stationed some of the people behind the lowest point of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. He organized everything, folks. Uh, he, he already had the people organized chapter 3. Uh, but now a new situation came about that required a change. If the enemies were going to attack the weak places, then he wanted to supplement the weak places. And when we're discouraged, one of the things we can do is look at our life and adopt a change of approach instead of becoming so discouraged that we quit. Amen. So, in other words, what I'm saying is uh, strengthen up the weak places in your life. Amen. If you have a problem in your marriage, don't bail on your spouse. Amen. Get some help. Go to prayer. Amen. Talk to the pastor. Change your approach. Develop a new attitude. Amen. Shore up the weak areas. Got a problem in your job? Don't quit your job. Change your priorities. Change your attitude. You know, begin to reevaluate things. Step back. Look at it, you know, the big picture. Amen. It's like that guy that walked out of his uh, house and he was aggravated. He is sitting on the couch first. He said, everything in here smells like Limburger cheese. And then he, he went uh, out on the living room, opened up the front door. He said, my goodness, he said, even the outdoor smells like Limburger cheese. And finally, his little daughter came up and said, Daddy, you got some real cheese there in your mustache. <laughs> when you begin to back up and look at the whole picture, you might say, you know what? The problem is me. The problem is me. Amen. Don't be overcome by discouragement. Back up. Reorganize. Take an evaluation. Amen. Talk to God. Don't stop following God and get upset with the Lord. Amen. Look at ourselves and say, God, I want you to help me. I, I need to strengthen the vulnerable areas in my life. I need to reorganize my priorities. Amen. If I've got some situation, I need to I need to straighten out some things. Amen. Like the old drunk that, that was trying to stop drinking, he had to stop hitching his horse in front of the saloon. You may have to reorganize some things in your life in order to avoid some temptations, in order to avoid some things in your life. But that will help you to not be discouraged. Then if you want to defeat it, you've always got to remember who God is. In Nehemiah 4 and 14, Nehemiah rallied the troops. He said this, Be ye not afraid of them. Remember the Lord. When it was all said and done, he said, Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Amen. Now, it's interesting to me because the people complained about all that rubble in 4 and 10. Here's the thing. 
Wasn't the rubble there in the beginning? Don't you think it was there the whole time? Sure it was. But when they started, they were totally focused on God. That's the way it is. We get the Holy Ghost. Woohoo! Man, we're ready to go. We're excited. God gives us a purpose. God, you know, we're, we're excited. But what happened to them and what can happen to us is that as they got weary and they didn't make time like they should have for their, their prayer life and, and they didn't have their priorities, they started getting weak. And all of a sudden, instead of focusing on the purpose, on the wall, they started looking at all the rubble. They became rubble gazers. Amen. They became focused on all the junk in their life, in the lives of others. And if you do that, I guarantee you will be discouraged because people will disappoint you. You can't focus on that. You've got to focus on God. Let's determine to be God gazers instead of rubble gazers. Can we determine here tonight? Amen. I, I feel that this church, I, I, I prayed sincerely, God, what do you want me to speak about tonight? Maybe if I don't say anything else, hear this. We have to keep our eyes on the goal. Amen. Keep our eyes on the wall and not on the rubble. Keep the vision. Keep the goal in mind. Let's remind ourselves why we're doing what we're doing and encourage ourselves and encourage one another in the work of the Lord. Don't be looking at all the rubble. Don't be looking at all the problems. Understand there's a wall we're building. Because when you're looking around, you're looking at, man, these rocks are so messed up. They're all beat up. Look at all this old dried mortar. Look at all this work. Why has Nehemiah got me over here? Don't he know I'm a typist? I'm not a stonemason. You know, all this kind of stuff. And you get aggravated. But when we know that God's got a purpose for it, we know that my part in this wall or your part in this church is so valuable. Amen. That I have got to do my part. Then we can stay encouraged when we look at the whole picture. Rather than looking at all the junk in our life. Discouragement is a plague in our world today. Let me end with this. I want to talk about um, the, the Golden Gate Bridge was uh, actually one of the oldest bridges, I think, in America. Uh, anybody seen the old uh, uh, pictures? I've seen some old pictures on uh, the internet of when they were constructing the Golden Gate Bridge in 1937. It's actually the longest suspension bridge in the world. And um, I wish I had thought and brought some pictures of it here tonight. But uh, during the first phase of this building project, uh, you now understand this was 1930, 1930s when they were building this, okay? So a uh, long time ago. I won't ask who remembers it. I don't want to do that. But <clears throat> it was a long time ago. Uh, during the first phase of this project, 23 men fell to their deaths in that icy water below. And so, when it was halfway completed, somebody had a bright idea to make some changes. <laughs> and they reorganized, and they built the largest safety net ever made. And they attached it under the area where the men were working. And it cost a lot of money, and it took some time. But was it worth it? Well, uh, you can ask the ten men that fell into it afterward and didn't fall into their deaths, into the icy water. Amen. Not only did it save those ten lives, but listen to this. The work speeded up. It was completed in three-fourths the time versus the beginning without the safety net. You know why? Because the workers were no longer working 
walking out there like this. They weren't scared anymore. They knew that there's a safety net under me. They knew that if, if I fall, I've got a job to do over here. I don't have to worry as much because if I fall, I've got a safety net over there. I don't have to fear. I don't have to be afraid because I've got angels all around me. Amen. I, I don't have to worry. I don't have to be discouraged. We've got a great safety net, folks. You, you know where I'm going here now, don't you? Amen. It doesn't matter uh, what we've done. It doesn't matter how discouraged that we have been. Uh, it doesn't matter what is going on in our lives. We've got a safety net. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be scared. We, we don't have to be tiptoeing around, amen, when people come against us with ridicule and with fear. You can't, and why do you do this? And what, the, all of the things that can get in your head, you've got a safety net. You are the one that can affect them. You are the one that can affect your community, amen. You're the one that can teach the word boldly. You are the one that can witness to anybody without fear. Why? Because we've got a safety net. Amen. Just like those workers, we can live and work freely without fear, knowing that we are protected, we are safe, we are secure. Amen. Discouragement can be defeated when we do like Nehemiah. We request his help, we reorganize our priorities, and we remember who he is. He is our Savior. You can't fall far enough that you will go underneath his hands. Amen. So don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Amen. I believe that God is going to do great things in this church. And here's the thing. It's kind of like, you know, I'm thankful for, uh, we can say, oh, I'm thankful for my country. Here's the deal. You are our country. And when you say God's going to do great things in our church, here's the deal. You are this church. That means God is going to do great things in you. You have to get that in your head because you've got all the Sanballats and all the Ammonites and the Greshamites and all those people around you that are telling you otherwise. They're telling you, you don't have the right education. You don't have the right talent. You don't have the right uh, enough money. You don't have the right last name. Uh, you don't speak the right language. You're not the right this or that. You know what? That's all of that from the outside. We've got a safety net. We don't have to be discouraged. We can rest in the arms of the Lord, and we don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to be weary and hear that stuff. Greater is he. Won't you help me with that? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Let's stand together right now. I feel the Lord in this place. Why don't you? Would you stand with me right now? Amen. Discouragement is going to leave this place right now. We're going to leave here encouraged in the work of God. Amen. We're going to leave here uh, with some tools to fight discouragement. Amen. And we're going to be encouraged. Praise God. Why don't you lift your hands and ask the Lord to help you to fight discouragement and fight those discouraging voices. Amen. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.